You are about to listen to a podcast that is intended for, well, not mature audiences, but certainly adult audiences. So parents, please take a moment to shuffle your kids out of the room or stop listening to it in front of them. We'll give you a moment. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get started with the broadcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode two of Words Between Friends, the podcast where we talk about English words, phrases, and expressions, but do so from a unique perspective, specifically a perspective devoid of any actual expertise or professional training. I am your host, Malcolm Fleshner, and with me is my fellow word maven, friend, and frequent antagonist, which explains the name of the podcast, Kurt Wolfram. What's up? There you go. Where, where did that come from? We'll find out some future episode, maybe. But, uh, but Kurt, I appreciate your joining me today, even though you are a bit under the weather, right? Now, where does that phrase come from? <laughs> See, this is why I shouldn't tell you what I'm going to say in the intro. Uh, yeah, I prefer to surprise you. But knowing that you were not feeling well, I happened to look up where under weather comes from. And uh, the expression meaning unwell or feeling worse than usual is a nautical term from the days of old sailing ships. Any sailor who was feeling ill would be sent below deck to protect him from the weather. Being below deck, the sailor would literally be under the weather. Or so GrammarMonster.com would have us believe. That's another point that I want to make. It's very important, which is that uh, any explanations that you get, as I said, we're not experts and they just come from the internet. So they could be false. We try to come up with uh, what, what appears to be the, uh, as much accurate information. and that's But that's the way the show works, is both Kurt and I come armed with unusual or interesting English words or expressions and discuss where they come from. So uh, let's uh, let's get started. If you've got the time, I got the, the beer, Michelob, uh, let it be Lowenbrow. Is, is Lowenbrow still around? Does that beer still exist? You know, uh, I have this problem with people, uh, I guess, like you, uh, people who ask me questions like this, and I just have to I just have to stare at them malevolently and say, I can look it up on the internet. But uh, but Lowenbrow was a major name brand when we were kids. Tonight is kind of special. The beer will pour. Let it be Lowenbrow. You remember that? Lowenbrow, a traditional Munich-style beer that's exclusively imported from the Lowenbrow uh, brewer in Munich. So it still exists, but like you never see ads for it. Or here's a here's a good uh, uh, hallmark of of its popularity. The first three videos that come up when you search for it are from Here's to a Good Christmas, commercial 1979, uh, Lowenbrow 1977, and then 1982. It was very popular. I mean, I don't know how popular it was, but it was popular enough that they were advertising it you know, commercially frequently enough that I have the, the theme song memorized. But I, I don't remember seeing an ad for Lowenbrow in the last 25 years, certainly. Am I, am I mistaken? It was, it was popular enough that you, you remember the Lowenbrow ads, right? I remember that theme song. And I, I think to myself, if they ever could do a lobotomy on you or some sort of brain thing, how many jingles they could smash <laughs> out of your brain. <laughs> you don't mean me personally. You mean people, right? Or do you mean me? Mm, sure. Yeah, people. <laughs> me. <laughs> you just dream of me on the autopsy table, don't you? Here's to good friends. Tonight is, yeah, here's a good friend. Tonight is well, kind of special. Mean, I, I, I was going to say it was tonight is special, but let's not go overboard. Tonight is kind of special. Tonight is kind of special. <laughs> That's right, Cindy. Lacey, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I just want this night to be, well, not perfect. Let's say kind of perfect. <laughs> yeah. 
The the jingle uh, was uh, originally performed by baritone jazz singer Arthur Prysock, and then later by other various singers, including Clint Holmes. Oh. And it ran from 1977 to 1985. Okay, so 35 years, I was right. Uh, mm-hmm. 36. Um, although I, I may have said 25. Listen, Cindy, I, I just, you're, you're a wonderful girl. You're, you're kind of special to me. <laughs> uh, and, and also, Cindy, you're a little bit hefty. Just a little bit. Yeah, you're kind of chunky. <laughs> you're kind of special, but also kind of chunky. Yeah, kind of horse-faced also. <laughs> I guess people just aren't having special nights anymore or not, not celebrating them with Lowenbrow, unfortunately. Well, certainly not kind of special nights. Kind of, so today is kind yeah. of special. <laughs> I mean, if it's really special, you're going to get like Molson. But, you know, if it's just kind of special, Lowenbrow. If, if it's just a regular night, go ahead, Budweiser or Meisterbrow or whatever. Kind of special, Lowenbrow. Maybe Michelob. And then really special, genuinely special. But yeah, saying something is kind of special. That's going to be my, my new go-to. Uh, so, it, it, you know, it seems to be complimentary, but then you have a fallback position where, you know, but you said I was the one. You said I was special. Um, now, if you actually check the record, I said you were kind of special. So, I have an idea. Why don't you do that at your next anniversary? <laughs> you know, it's tomorrow. My anniversary is tomorrow. So I'll, 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 uh, I'll give it a shot. Well, you know, but I'll, but it's not a signature year. So I'll say, you know, it's, it's an anniversary. It's, it's not a special anniversary, but it is, a, it is kind of special. So, uh, but I, let's get started. Let's, let's go. You won the toss backstage. So you get to go first. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I just I just got to go back to the anniversary. You looking deeply, soulfully into your wife's eyes, who's suffered so much by your side and 21 years, you know, you're legal to drink anniversary. And you just say, honey, I just I just want you to know these past 21 years and even before that, four or five years, it's been really kind of special, kind of special, <laughs> kind of special. And that's and that's why I brought Lowenbrow. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. So, so number one, we're going to go ahead and bite the bullet here and do number one. Uh, number one is bite the bullet. Bite the bullet. Yeah. So the bullet. So, so now, the way we, we usually do this is that uh, that we we discuss what the, the phrase means, uh, and then we we get into uh, its derivation, right? Sure. Whatever you say. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't ask you questions while you're taking sips, but uh, that delicious low and brown, that makes me know you thought this podcast was going to be kind of special. So uh, uh, bite the bullet. And why did you choose bite the bullet? Listen, I'll, I'll ask the questions here. <laughs> All right. So what is it? What does it mean? What, it, what does it mean in our in our parlance? What is it? What does it mean to you? I think it has come to mean to uh, uh, take that step forward to do that thing that you uh, have been, you know, considering doing, and now you're going to actually do it and Mm -hmm. to to commit. It means to commit. And I don't think that's where it came from originally, but I think that's what has come to mean. It's like in the David Bowie song, Space Oddity. It's, you know, he doesn't say bite the bullet, but he says, it's time to take your protein pill and put your helmet on. Now is the time we're going to commit. We're going into space. So whatever it is you're doing, you're going to bite the bullet and but I think it also it has a negative connotation generally, which is something that you have to do, a commitment that you've made that you're not eager to do. But, you know, it's not like I bit the bullet and opened that restaurant that I've been dreaming about. No, it's I, I bit the bullet and brought the car in to find out what was wrong with it. You know, th- something like that. Yeah, I went to I went to the parent teacher conference. <laughs> yeah, I went, <laughs> I went to the marital counseling. 
uh, speaking of my anniversary, it's, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, that, is that, is that, is that a relatively accurate from, from no, your- I, 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 you know, who am I to tell? Uh, I think that's fine. I'm more <laughs> interested in, uh, can we take a protein pill? Yeah. What is a protein? Yeah. Protein pill. And I always, I always wondered about that from the song, take your protein pill and put your helmet on. It's like, because you can't put the helmet on first. So it's a, it's the right order anyway, because you got your helmet on and then you're sort of like trying to, trying to drink while you got a, a, a mask on because of COVID. So you didn't look it up to get the accurate definition. You're just, you're just bringing it. And then we're going to discuss. No, I have, I have the accurate definition as well. Okay. So was I right? Mm, anyway. So, uh, <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Right. You don't like to acknowledge anytime I'm ever correct about anything. I, I forgot that. I'm sorry. Was there a time that you were correct about something? <laughs> Not that you ever acknowledged. So, okay. uh, but then, but then am I right also? Well, I guess now I can't even ask, but I will just propose that the derivation, however, is different. It's all uh, to biting the bullet is literally sort of, you know, when you're going to go through uh, you're, you're going to have to experience something very painful, physically painful. And so they would put a bullet between your teeth, much like a, a piece of leather or something like in the, in the civil war, when they're going to saw off your arm, you avoid gangrene, then they didn't have anesthesia. So you would bite something to prevent you from, I think from the pain being so hard that you actually bite down so hard on your teeth that you crack them. But that's when you would bite the bullet or whatever it is you were biting that was going to prevent you from doing something terrible to your mouth, I think. Okay. Uh, by the rules of our game, as we've talked about it, if you say you don't know, you only get uh, negative five points. But okay. if you guess incorrectly, uh, you get negative four hundred and twelve. So that's going to be that's going to be rough for you. Uh, now I won't say whether or not I also thought that was where it came from. However, uh, are you ready for the big reveal? I'm. I've been waiting. For, uh, that's why I was rambling on, waiting for you to cut me off. I don't want to lose four hundred twelve points or whatever it was. That's a lot of points, man. Can <laughs> say that right now. <laughs> All right. So uh, you and I both got the, the perceived uh, meaning of it today correctly. And I think you had it absolutely right. You know, just bite the bullet means you're just going to go ahead and ask uh, Darcy to the dance anyway. Um, <laughs> Even though she's your 11th choice. Yeah. Uh, just because your mom said, your mom said, just ask that poor girl to the dance. Don't worry about it. Anyway. Uh, so, but where did it come from, right? Where does it come from? And your guess of sort of having to bite down on something uh, was was a pretty good one, I thought, because that's kind of what I thought too. You know, people used to bite down on leather before they had laudanum or, or whatever they used for uh, anesthesia, right? So before right. that, things were very painful. So uh, believe it or not, here's what it actually comes from. The phrase came into common usage uh, usage, it meant a person without any sign of fear who acts with a courage and in the face of adversity. Uh, the phrase recollects a dangerous army practice in the 1850s militaries, including the US and UK, where soldiers were equipped with the British Enfield rifle. In order to use it, they literally had to bite off the head of the cartridge to expose the explosive to the spark which would ignite it. The wow. procedure was obviously potentially fatal. Yeah, particularly so in the middle of battle, <laughs> <laughs> which one would imagine where it was often used. Sure. You know, you, know, you, um, might, you have purpose or cause to use a bullet in battle. Right. So we always want to fact check our, our things. Uh, so I went to this and here's an actual thing from the 1850s, the Sepoy Mutiny, the Indian Rebellion. British military drills of the time required soldiers to tear open 
by biting open the prepared cartridge. Pour the gunpowder contained with it down the barrel. Snap off the greased end of the cartridge containing the bullet at the muzzle. Ram it home. Bring it up to the rifle to the hip. Replace the percussion cap. Ready the rifle by setting the sights and moving it to full cock. Then to present the rifle, marking the target and squeezing the trigger. Wow. By that time, the enemy had gone past them, <laughs> yeah. built several condos. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, where, where do you move it to? <laughs> and, and then this is the thing. The reason this was a problem uh, is that the idea of having pig or beef fat in their mouths was unacceptable to the Indian soldiers. Sure. So the uh, British said they were welcome to make up their own batches uh, using uh, ghee. Now, I'm, I'm not an expert in munitions and the like. But that would seem like a design flaw. Apparently, these were used also in the Civil War uh, to a great extent. Uh, what I've read is that these rifles uh, are still highly sought after by Civil War enactors. And I guess what we don't really get, but we, we know from the numbers of how many were killed, if you weren't injured in that first rush, if two armies came together, uh, and if you weren't hit, then after that, it all became hand-to-hand fighting. Yeah, with bayonets and everything, and then and particularly uh, gruesome. Sure. Well, it's a lot safer than having to bite every bullet that you <laughs> fire. <laughs> I just love the idea of a guy charging me, and I'm sorry. Excuse me. I'm only on step three out of nine. <laughs> you have to you have to throw it up in the air, clap and spin, then catch it. <laughs> so uh, along with this, sometimes when they would bite the cartridge, it would explode apparently in their mouths. Yeah. And that's not good, right? I got nothing on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like generally speaking, when you're engaging in a battle, even if it is the mid 19th century and, uh, and you know, warfare is still relatively primitive, I don't think that you want to blow your own head off by biting into a part of your ammunition. Again, I don't, I'm not the expert. I don't know. Right. Just- and now I can't see that. I, when I look in the Wikipedia there, I can't see that the actual cartridges would explode. So that's not what I'm seeing. So in terms of for our purposes, it came to mean you're starting to fight. You're going to fire. You're going to start shooting at people. You're going to bite the bullet. That means right. we're, we're locked and loaded. What was it? You know, uh, what was the part about the cock? It's game on. <laughs> the, cock, the, the cock had to be in hand. <laughs> there was a part where you said something about the cock. I know that. I heard that. I don't know what's more disturbing that you heard it, but they know that you repeatedly are bringing it up. (laughs) It could be distracting. I don't know. All right. Here's what it says. Again, uh, bite open the cartridge. Step one, pour the gunpowder contained within it down the barrel. Now that's, that's gotta be easy with people charging you. Sure. And you just, you're just pouring the thing down the barrel. Right. And you're not nervous at all. So your hand isn't shaking. Oh no. no. And, uh, uh, and uh, then step three is snap off the greased end of the cartridge containing the bullet at the muzzle. Now, this is the point where I go, huh? <laughs> and I'm kind of, I'm looking through the directions. What do yeah. they mean by the, the containing it? You know, this is the uh, putting together the Ikea cabinet. Where you're like, wait, slot A, which one's slot A? <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, uh, did I get, did they give me an Allen wrench of that size? I don't think, oh, honey. Yeah. The last thing I'll say on this one is the musketry books also recommended that whenever the the grease around the bullet appears to be melted away or otherwise removed from the cartridge, the sides of the bullet should be made wet in the mouth before putting it into the barrel. The saliva will serve the purpose of grease 
for the time being. Wow, this this is getting more erotic every year. <laughs> 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 I mean, you're not that far away from pole dancing uh, in in the middle of battle. Like, you know, are you trying to seduce the uh, enemy to death? Like, hello, you know, you got your tongue out there, you're licking your cartridge very uh, seductively. Oh, you don't want to fight us, soldier. This is this is all very very surprising. I had no idea about any of this. Did you? Were you? correct uh, mistaken like i was about the or meaning you know the same as biting the bullet meaning like biting a piece of leather or no no but i i i, I did think that it had something to do with that i i thought that that was maybe a, a thing that they did and just put a bullet in your mouth or instead of a piece of leather or you know somebody else's arm what when they do that what if somebody else's arm yeah <laughs> my finger <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry private you know, you're last man in first one to get your finger bitten off you know and i know that's not what this expression is about when you when you are biting down that strop of leather what are you preventing like, I, you know like, i don't know i mean i think it's just a, a place to like focus your attention i mean is it, it's not to actually hurt yourself like you're gonna bite so hard you're gonna hurt your own teeth somehow it's a good thing they didn't use fruit leather because that would not be as effective. Well, when I was when I was reading about how they did dental surgery in the 1800s, the Napoleonic War time, mm. they would liquor people up. Yeah, uh, they would um, strap them down, and then they would hire somebody uh, to play the drums really loud in their ears. Uh, well, you, they only they only pay the guy who's playing the drums. The guy who's providing the liquor and who's strapping them down. Those people are all pro bono. But the drummers, they're, just, they're volunteers. Yeah, the the the, 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 volunteers. the musician, you know, they, they kept trying that like, oh, it'd be good exposure for you. No, no, I'm, I'm I get paid for my music. It turns okay. out the drummer isn't to uh, help the person getting his tooth pulled. It's to help everybody else from the screams of the person. Probably. It's probably to a degree that's true. Thank you for bringing that. I That was much more interesting than anything I've got today. But if if uh, if you if you don't have any more on biting the bullet why don't we just uh, bite the bullet and move on to to my first one because i'm way behind in points and i <laughs> i'm i'm desperate to score okay just before that i just want to sing a few bars of my uh the hit song me and my enfield rifle me and my enfield right that's a hit song it was, it was in the 1860s it was a it was like a love song <laughs> well you know that carries on with the erotic theme of this whole segment all right what do you got Okay, so my word, actually, I think you may have used it in the previous episode. So definitely those of you who are listening at home, go go check, go, you know, pour over the last episode. But the term is milk toast. And I'll, I guess I'll put it to you, what, what does milk toast mean? Uh, you know, the definition comes to mind for me is somebody uh, relatively bland and inoffensive and quite frankly, boring, probably. Okay, that's I think that's pretty accurate. It's a Merriam-Webster defines milk toast as a as a timid, meek, or unassertive person. The implication being that a milk toast person is afraid to stand up, worried about backlash. Uh, by literary extension, things can be milk toast as well. And what what was would your guess be about where the expression milk toast comes from? And the spelling is different from what you would assume if you just heard the word and not seen it spelled. It is not spelled like the word milk and the word toast. Well, at least. The word toast is, but the word milk is spelled differently. It's M-I-L-Q-U-E. So what do you think the, the, where does milk toast come from? You know, like, like when children ask, where do babies come from? Where does milk come from? Well, we, we know they, uh, well, we won't get into those two, but where does milk toast come from? That's what I'm asking you. 
Right. So it actually, I, I know this one, so I feel like it's a bit of a cheat. Yes. But uh, it comes from the French who believed their toast uh, should only go in something strong like coffee or, or wine. And people who dip their toast in milk, or as the French called it, milquet, with a Q-U-E, <laughs> uh, were bland and uh, much like mis- Midwesterners. Well, that is 100% wrong, but it sounds good. And if you hadn't established the way points are allocated, I would I would give you points for a, a good guess. But it is, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to uh, take away the 412 points because that, that is incorrect. Um, it is related to a breakfast dish of milk toast, also called milk sop. It's toast softened with milk, uh, but it's, it's an American invention. It's not French, and it has nothing to do with France. And it first appeared in the United States around 1840. Uh, and apparently it was popular, judging by this 1855 description. I'm getting this from the Columbia Journalism Review, by the way. It says, uh, this delicacy is made of slices of toast, buttered and sprinkled with pepper and salt, and laid in a dish of warm milk which serves as a sauce to the rest. And I don't know about you, but the idea of toast with some butter, pepper, salt, just sitting, uh, you know, lapping up warm milk in a saucer, boy, are my my mouth watering, huh? I mean, (laughs) sounds good. That sounds good, good, good. But milk toast has little substance, cannot hold its shape, and is practically liquefied. And that is the connection because in 1924, a comic book creator by the name of H.T. Webster created a character named Casper Milk Toast for his strip, The Timid Soul, where uh, this character would entertain through his timidity, literal reading of signs, and refusal to engage anyone in discussions that could turn to controversy. He enjoyed some popularity, even appearing with his creator on the cover of Time magazine in 1945, and he loaned his name to others who shared some of his traits. As time went on and people forgot who Casper was, the phrase just became Milk Toast, usually lowercase. So it's one of those expressions that we know in English that is named for a character from uh, fiction or works of art of some sort uh, who the characters themselves are long forgotten like Mrs. Malaprop from whatever uh, the the play that she comes from but the term that uh, that they gave gave life to initially lives on Uh, so but whereas of course the character much like Lowenbrow beer apparently has been relegated to a the Ashcan of history. So that's where it comes from. It, there was a character, Casper Milkos. He was on the cover of Time magazine in 1945. And, but sadly, his career has waned since then. Uh, but he lives on every time somebody describes somebody else as a pussy. <laughs> I was just about to uh, ask where the term nerd comes from uh, because of your propensity to bring up these, these. But then you do that. And I go, no, nah, he's still got grit, that kid. He's got grit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, you know, milk toast is a nice way of saying that somebody is kind of a, you know. I know, but you 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 bring up these things. You're like, uh, you know, what about this one? The spatter winks, you know, when people had the gnats and the and the, you know, and I'm just like, what? And you're well, like, mal- malaprop is an expression that you know yeah, yeah. that nerds that nerds use. Let's just move on. Okay. Well, I, you know, I should think of others. I'm sure there are others. I could, I could look them up, but maybe I, I could have. Wait. So, but better. while we're talking about this, uh, yeah. and and this uh, card, whatever happened to Booberry? <laughs> Is he has has he been lost to uh, to the ages also? I think he's one of the uh, deceased uh, breakfast characters that uh, sadly we've seen. You know, I mean, there's Frankenberry too. I haven't seen him in years. Well, you know the. Uh, Count Chocula is still going strong. I do not. I don't eat a lot of sugary cereals, so I don't know about the 
what's popular still these days. But if Count Chocula is still around and Booberry and Frankenberry are, are no longer, then I will just have to assume that, that Count, you know, the, the finger of blame, you got to point it at Count Chocula, right? I, I mean, think, I, think, uh, I think Count Chocula has been canceled due to sensitivities. <laughs> now, why is that? What's, what's wrong with Count Chocula? Hey, well, don't, get, don't get me started. All right, next. On the subject, though, how come yeah. the only character uh, associated with breakfast cereal who's female is Pebbles? The rest of them are all male. Captain Crunch and Tony the Tiger and you know, Count Chocula. There's no Countess Chocula. Uh, I actually uh, heard uh, that Pop was uh, cisgender. <laughs> okay. Pop. Snap, crackle, and pop. Well, no. <laughs> you mean you don't mean cisgender. Cis- <laughs> that means he's just a straight white guy. Cisgendered means straight and uh, male, or not necessarily male, but just means straight. So saying that pop is cisgender doesn't doesn't help uh, all right so we're moving on now uh after i've been schooled by another middle-aged guy okay steal someone's thunder okay so next is steal someone's th- uh, steal your thunder stealing Where- my thunder you're stolen my thunder okay, well i think that's that's not it's not a hard one in terms of you've been you've been stealing my thunder for years How dare you? you know this whole pop is this whole pop is cisgendered thing that was my thing well, now you've given away what it means. What if I didn't know and, what it meant? And you and and you got to go around ruining it by explaining it to me. We all know what stealing your thunder means. That's not a difficult one to uh, you know appropriate to oneself something that uh, was perceived as belonging to someone else, uh, and not just stealing, but that that was uh, that they had developed on their own or was associated with them for some reason. And the the origin of this one is interesting because it uh, it, it dates to the uh, the nineteen eighties when there was a cartoon show called Thundar the Barbarian, which had been developed by this one little-known writer, and then it was stolen by Warner Brothers. And they, they took it, and they, uh, they made millions off of Thundar the Barbarian, and never gave the guy a nickel. And so the expression came to be to steal your Thundar, and then just, you know, over time, it became steal your thunder. You know, I, I don't think it's cool that you look these things up ahead of time and steal my thunder with the answer. <laughs> I don't want you to think there's anything wrong with this at all, anybody listening, but I'm suspecting that you're also cisgendered at this point. <laughs> so um, if you didn't know, did that explanation sound remotely plausible? Like, could that have, well, could, could anybody? You know, have... I think anything said in a deep voice that's authoritative enough will fool enough people. And that's really the only way I got dates uh, all throughout my 20s and 30s and 40s. You would just drop drop down a couple of octaves and you're like, you need to go out. With I would just say... It turns out that Masters and Johnson has said that going out with somebody with bald spot. So no, that didn't that didn't sound plausible. You wouldn't you wouldn't buy that, or you would? No, I I wouldn't buy it just because I know the answer. But I I'm a great I'm a fond believer in this sort of just when you don't know something authoritatively stating it otherwise, and uh, and and mostly that was most of my dating life, and it worked out pretty well for me. Well, that's, you know, to be both people listening, get some dating tips also unexpectedly. There's so much, so much learning going on here. It's, uh, we really should be charging, but, uh, but where does steal your thunder actually come from? Here's my point. I just want to say this in terms of dating advice. It's <laughs> relatively easy to date. It's the other stuff, the, the living together and paying bills and going to soccer games and whatnot. That stuff's tough. Okay. So we're, so we come to this podcast for you know, ex- expansive, exhaustive, and exhausting 
discussions of word expressions and origins and uh, and then advice on the easiest part of romantic relationships which is the dating and we have for the rest of it, we got nothing you know i feel like you're trying to steal my thunder okay so here's the thing if you had guessed this i mean if you'd known this i i would be impressed it comes from the failed enlightenment playwright and critic john dennis whose debut play was a massive flop but had one great innovation in the theater's creation of Thunder. Later, a production of Macbeth allegedly stole his invention of, of Thunder on the stage. And the phrase was born as he indignantly claimed in the press, damn them, they will not let my play run, but they steal my Thunder. Wow. Yeah, to guessing that would be tough. I mean, not really after I told you the answer. Well, that's not really guessing then, is it? So this this guy was a playwright. He wrote a play and they performed it. Everyone watching was like, oh my God, this is the biggest, you know, they might as well have just come out on stage and taken a big dump. But that, but when when that scene with the thunder, that sounded real. Let's that let's let's do that the next time we have a scene with thunder in it. And so, but this, but it, it is interesting that my guess was sort of accurate in that it was a piece of intellectual property that was developed by a nobody and appropriated by somebody big and then then the rest is history and nobody ever saw his play ever again but they continue using that method in the theater and maybe even depending on what it is you know the old radio shows they used to have all sorts of sound effects that they created and thunder was one of them and i wonder if it was the same way they kept doing it for hundreds of years well i can only tell you this is of how obscure this guy is uh is when I Googled or, or looked up uh, Enlightenment and his name, he still doesn't pop up. Whoa. <laughs> the hits keep coming for this poor guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty sad. I mean, I literally put the Enlightenment in him and, you know, John Keats comes up. Sure. Uh, yeah, the real John McCain is number 10. Anyway, so there you go. Those, uh-huh. That's my second one. That was somewhat milk toast uh, of him. Um, no, no, it doesn't work. That's not no, scratch that callback. Forget it. All right, so that's still, that's a good. That's an interesting one. I think that's really because um, you assume it's going to be metaphoric. You know, like the, the the expression is going to have been a metaphor for something, but it was literal. They literally stole his thunder, and <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted it back. God damn it! Uh, all right, well, so my, my next one is a much more. Uh, au courant phrase, as the French would say, it's something you hear frequently nowadays. I'm not sure you're even familiar with it. I'll, I, I, I debate it because I don't know if this is something that you've encountered, although your daughter, your older daughter certainly would know and people of that generation, but we're old farts. So my, uh, my question is first, do you know the expression, no cap? Have you heard the expression, no cap? Uh, yes. When I've, uh, uh, I've gone into the uh, ice hockey rink with my where's Waldo cap. Okay, so that's I'm going to guess that means no, you don't know what no cap means, but no cap is very popular and it just means it's not a lie. It's true. You know, you, you make a statement, then you say no cap. You know, I, I, I've been here for 20 minutes, no cap, you know, or uh, I, uh, I, I, you know, I bought a brand new car, no cap. You know, you, you use it to, to express that, uh, you, uh, that you're telling the truth and cap, therefore, means, you know, a lie or bullshit or bragging or something along those lines. And it's been it's used in in hip hop songs of late. I didn't even get to ask you what you thought it meant because you weren't going to guess, obviously. Waldo, come on. 
where's Waldo? Now you're dating yourself. <laughs> but uh, so the expression, it means no lie or for real, no cap. And uh, it, to, to emphasize that you're not exaggerating about something that may be hard to believe. And in black slang, to cap about something is to brag or exaggerate and dates back to the early 1900s. And in the 1940s, according to Green's Dictionary of Slang, uh, to cap is evidence as slang meaning to surpass, connected to the ritualized insults of capping, meaning like doing the dozens or, you know, trading insults like uh, yo mama jokes and that sort of thing. These terms appear to be rooted in the sense of cap as top or upper limit. So no cap has the sense of no lie, no joke for real or not bragging. And then a young thug in future, I know you're big fans of their work, uh, released the track No Cap, and where they boast about their wealth and swag and uh, you know all of the the accoutrements of success that they have. I don't think they use accoutrements in the rap, but that popularized it all the more. And now, uh, personally, there's a there's a, you know on TikTok there's a site where the 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 fact or cap guys where they test TikTok trends to see if they're real or bullshit, and they're hugely popular TikTok. Uh, but No Cap also uh, comes to mean no limit, so it's the same cap. We're, you know, we're talking about a cap as like a salary cap, of course, as a cap as a hat, meaning a top and the upper limit. And that is no cap. That is no that is true about where no cap comes from. And I recommend you start using it because and let me tell you, when I'm with my children and I start using terminology that is popular with their cohort, they love it. Yeah, I like to say to my kids, hey, you hip cats. It's all <laughs> groovy, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> it's the bees knees it's, uh, it's the cat's pajamas 23 skidoo yeah those terms aren't quite as uh, common nowadays as a uh, saying like no cap or something is lit you know you, you say lit you know the, they love it my kids love it when i use these terms so uh, i really do recommend it to all of our listeners who are you know getting on in years and have children who are much hipper who are like gen z definitely sprinkle your vernacular with these expressions. And if the point is to uh, make them cringe so hard that they crumple up into a tiny little ball, then definitely do it in front of their friends. You know, hey, you know, <laughs> you, your child is with their friends. You're like, hey, this lemonade is really good. No cap. And they love it. They'll love it. Yeah, trust me on this one. Well, you know, I, I agree with you. Uh, it's something that I do. The other thing that I do, I don't know if you do this or whatever, but I certainly would recommend it. Uh, is when my uh, older uh, daughter goes to like a house party or something, I like to show up and just kind of hang out. Sure. <laughs> and and then just be like, hey, does anybody have any grass? <laughs> so uh, my, my sister is dating someone whose name is Buck. And so if she marries him, he will be my kid's Uncle Buck. So I thought, what the hell? Let's let's watch the movie Uncle Buck. And that is essentially what that movie is about in many ways is uh, is John Candy as Uncle Buck showing up at his especially his teenage niece's parties and uh, just walking around, you know, just this giant John Candy smoking a cigar. And it's all these teenagers drinking and partying and he's just hanging out with them. You're like, hey, where's, you know, so-and-so? You seen her around? Because he's looking for her. And he drives up to her school, drops her off at school in his junker car that's just, you know, oil, burning oil at the, at the exhaust pipe. And, and uh, I mean, the, the power to embarrass your children is so, it, it's, it's almost limitless. And most parents, they, 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 oh, sure, I'll let you off a block away. No, no, we're pulling up to the front and I'm coming in with you. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, you want to sing that song we used to sing when you were kids? Up in the air, Junior Birdman. <laughs> yeah, talk, talk to them about, oh, 
I remember when I used to change her diapers, you know, or whatever. It's, it's <laughs> definitely, definitely. And oh man, they were stinky. <laughs> yeah, that's why they created the the legal uh, possibility of emancipated minor, you know, pursuing emancipated minorhood. It's for child stars whose whose parents are stealing all of their money, and for kids whose parents just are merciless about them and embarrassing them in front of their friends. Um, because we all remember what that was like, and now we, you know, turnabout is fair play. So that's no cap. That's uh, that's you know one I wanted to share with you and get you a little hipper, get you you know down with the lingo. All right. So uh, uh, I got I got another one. We got time okay. for another one. Yeah, sure. Give me what do you got? Let's hear it. All right. So this one we're gonna we're gonna throw a curve in. This is a series of three, but they come from uh, what I like to call furners. So uh, I'm gonna rattle these off for you real quick, and you just sort of guess where they are. And then you get bonus points if you can guess where it's from. Okay. Okay. So here's the expression. There is no cow on the ice. There is no cow on the ice. Are these English expressions or from other places where they speak English? Or are these expressions that are translated into English? Yeah, they're foreigners. <laughs> okay. That, that's, very, that's very helpful. There's no cow on the ice. It's clearly Scottish. Okay. And what, what do you think it refers to? There's no cow on the ice. It's, it's too thin. Uh, the ice is too thin to for uh, for cows to walk on. It's this is this is dangerous. This is I wouldn't do that. There's no cow on the ice. Okay, it's a fair guess. Uh, it happens to be 180 degrees in the opposite direction, but a good and fair guess. This is a Swedish expression, and it means there's no reason to panic because there is no cow on the ice. Okay, um, cows on the ice indicate reason to panic. Why is cows on ice a bad thing? You know, these people are from Sweden. I think they do a lot of drinking. Sure. Yeah. They eat, they loot a fisk. I mean, they, there's no explaining these people. No, what I was thinking is if there was a cow on the ice, there's no reason to panic because the ice is thick enough, right? Yeah. That's what I, I so I'm with you on this one. This one uh, uh, needs a little bit more investigation. I think the but... Swedes need to need to update their, their language, uh, you know, accordingly. This is like, uh, you know, when people tell us that flammable and inflammable mean the same thing, they have a point. Yeah, I've always been disturbed by that. I used to look at my pajamas as a kid and go, this could go badly at any moment. I'm just going <laughs> to burst into flames. <laughs> Better take them off. So yeah, uh, I used to read the book of lists and they'd have spontaneous combustion, human combustion. And I was like, I bet they were wearing my pajamas. Yeah, I, I would read that and it'd be like, good, because I didn't have enough to worry about. Just There was no, no, no cow on the ice. Therefore, there's no reason to panic. Okay, so uh, that's, that's number one. Uh, here's the next one. Uh, not my circus, not my monkeys. Not my circus, not my monkeys. I have to say where this is from. And uh, so this is clearly Australian. Uh -huh. And I mean, the obvious conclusion is that it, it means it's not my problem. These are the other people. Th those people can do what they want to do. They want to ruin their lives. They want to cause a problem. You know, I'm not involved. So leave me out well, of it. That is fantastic. I wish we had like the soundboard where I could cue people applauding. Congratulations. That's exactly right. It means it's not my problem. But yeah. I love that saying, right? Not my circus, not my monkeys. Right. But is it Australian? Uh, That's what I want to know. No, but pretty close. It's a country right next door to it, Poland. <laughs> well, now, so, okay, so it's not an English expression. Okay. I was just going with English language countries. If I had known that I could, you know, expand beyond English language countries, then I, I would have for sure said Poland. Sure, sure. And uh, here's the last one there. And there's a bonus one just for you, Malcolm. But yeah. uh, here, here's the, the last one. I'm not hanging noodles on your ears. 
I'm not hanging noodles on your ears. Uh -huh. okay. So that, uh, well, you, you got to go for a noodle intensive country. So it either would be like an Italy <laughs> or a, a Japan, Korea, China, I think. Uh -huh. I'll, uh, I'll go with China. Sure. And I'm not, what does it mean to say I'm not hanging noodles on your ears? It, it, it means I'm not telling you tales. I'm not, the, I'm, I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the absolute truth. No cap. It's the truth. I'm not hanging noodles on your ears because that would be a disingenuous thing to do. Wow. You know, I am not often surprised in this world. And I've never held up much uh, hope for your intellect. But my <laughs> God, man, two out of three. That's amazing. That's exactly right. It is. Uh, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not hanging noodles on your ears. It just so happens on the site, they actually have a guy with noodles hanging off his ears to illustrate the point. I wonder how much you got paid for that gig. My hope is nothing. <laughs> so nothing. They, they, but they, there's, a, there's a stock photo. Somebody grabbed a stock photo of a guy with noodles on his ears. Yeah. And, and uh, the country, the country, you've done so well. What's the country? I said China. Yeah, it's very close right next door to it. Uh, Russia. Oh, they, they eat noodles in Russia? Well, I guess they maybe they don't eat them. They just hang them on ears of people when they're they're lying to them. Um, so did, is that not what you would have guessed for what these expressions mean? The, the monkeys in the circus one seems relatively obvious. The, the noodles on the ears, that, that, you could, that could go a lot of ways. Well, in, I'm, in, I'm gonna... in some cultures, when a man wants to marry a woman, when you know, propose marriage to a woman, he hangs noodles on her father's ears. So that's Dutch, though. That's so not Russian. <laughs> so to say i'm not hanging noodles on your ears if you're saying that to an older man in the netherlands that means oh i don't want to marry your daughter i just want to you know <laughs> so very different the same expression but very different meaning different places so be careful where you use it and how you use it is what i'm saying wow exhausting isn't it yeah it sure is are you always like this <laughs> i try to be <laughs> sometimes i'm even less entertaining <laughs> I, you know, again, I'm still on the part where you went. Eh, 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 eh. <laughs> well, I didn't want to be crass. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> All right. Well, then we're going to give you the bonus one. This one I'll is just my last for, one for next week. Yeah, this is just for you and your erudite elocution. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, go going where the czar goes on foot. Going where the czar goes on foot. Okay. Well, that's. That's clearly a, a, a Bantu expression from uh, Ghana. <laughs> Going where the czar goes on foot. Uh, uh, I would say that means off the beaten path to a really remote place. Going somewhere, going like saying we're going where no man goes. Going uh, to remote places. Going somewhere really distant or strange. Uh, uh, something like that because and i would say because the czar obviously gets carried everywhere and the only places the czar would go on foot would be places that are remote or very difficult to traverse um what do you think well i think uh that was good but this actually means believe it or not to go to the toilet oh in russia to go oh, to the bathroom that's good that's good because it was the only place the czar wasn't carried to and so for over a century and even to the present day, people excuse themselves and say, I'm going where the czar goes on foot. You know what? That's a great that's a great expression. And and it's preferable to what we have to some of what we have in the United States where we say, I'm going to see a man about a horse. 
That does not make any sense. What is that? Well, we'll have to look that one up on the next time. I always, uh, I always just excuse myself and say, I have to go put powder in my nerves. <laughs> that, that, that's good. Is that, that, is, that's that the, is that the right expression? That's close. I mean, you know, close enough. Sure. Um, I mean, you know, drain the dragon is uh, is uh, um, visceral. I think if you're at a really nice dinner party, your boss or people you just sure. met, embassy and function, they, and you just you get up and you just say, "I have to go shake the weasel." <laughs> I got to go drop a deuce. (laughs) (laughs) Your eminence, if you'll excuse me. (laughs) That's right, folks. It took us about 57 minutes to break. I got to go drop some kids off at the pool. Your your honor. (laughs) Wow. Mr. President, I I broke broke much earlier. Where did you get these, uh, these expressions? Listen, I'm loath to divulge my sources. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> no, I, uh, I just, I just looked it up on the internet, man. What do, what do you think the answer is to every fucking thing? Sorry, every damn thing. There's no question that is not answered now by the internet. Right, so I know, but is there, is there a site that lists foreign expressions that uh, are, you know, of curious origin? I tell you what, I will send you the link, but for our listeners, they get nothing. Sure, they, unless, they, unless they uh, go to our sponsor. What, what did you call that? The place that you found the, the things. Tinydicks.com. <laughs> no, that was different. Oh, no, jeez, man. I got one from Columbia Journalism Review. I got one from uh, dictionary.com. And then I got another one from Worldwide Word. But you were asking about grammarmonster.com. That's good stuff, though. That's uh, solid, solid material. Because the premise of the show was supposed to be English expressions, and you have expanded it to expressions that there's no way we could know. But I appreciate it because that's that's good stuff. I I'm gonna I'm gonna try to incorporate that into my uh, into my personal vernacular because that uh, where only the czar goes on foot. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm not hanging noodles on your ears. <laughs> no cap. We could do a whole show just about the bathroom, because, and and we probably should because I was shopping the other day, and it struck me that the toilet paper is called bath tissue, and it has nothing to do with taking a bath. Like you, you don't use toilet paper when you're taking a bath. It has nothing to do with it. And and I don't know about you, but I don't I don't go in there to take naps. So why do we call it a restroom? I mean, the, all the various words and things we do to avoid talking about what we're actually doing, and now we're involving the czar for crying out loud. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's wrap this one up, man, because we're uh, we're wandering far afield. Sure, far afield. I, yeah, I'm gonna go go get myself a low and brow, and but I I still think it was a uh, it was a kind of special show. So I appreciate you making the time for it, even though you're not feeling well. And uh, you brought it this time. You brought it big time, and I appreciate it. And you've disparaged the show in the past. I don't want to let on to the the listeners that you know you're you're not sold 100 percent on the premise. But you did a much better job today than I did. So Draw your own conclusions. Uh, <laughs> no, no noodles on your ears, et cetera. Wait, wait, what is it again? Listen, I want to be clear. I wasn't disparaging the show. I was disparaging you. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Am I always like this? So, um, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Episode number two in the can. You've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. Uh, Kurt was reminded why he doesn't like me and <laughs> why he should never do this. So there was a lot of learning and reinforcing, which is also a very important kind of learning going on as well. But nevertheless, uh, I promise you that uh, the next time we will do better. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.
Hey, thanks for listening. But before you go, if you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. Or, if you didn't enjoy it, well, give us five stars and a glowing review anyway. Why should you be the only one who suffers? And also, be sure to check out the other podcasts Kurt and I do, Quality Control Purposes, where we critique professional advice columnists' responses to letter writers, and the Not For Nothing podcast, which is less structured, more contentious, and often quickly devolves into bickering over long-held grievances between the two hosts.